Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit for listeners of Greater Than Code. You can find all of the details at linode.com slash greater than code. Linode has 11 global data centers and provides 24-7, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs regardless of your plan size. In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 in credit on S3-compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and more. Visit linode.com slash greater than code and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. Episode 222 of Greater Than Code. I am Artemis Starr, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Rain Hendricks. Thanks, Artie. I'm here with my co-host, Damian Burke. Thanks, Rain. And I'm here with our guest, Elise Robinson. Elise Robinson has been described as fearless. After losing her mother to blood cancer, she left America to mourn her in Mexico and decided to stay. Going into her fifth year of residing in Mexico, she's the founder of News in IT, runs a blog, podcast, and YouTube channel about her life in Mexico under EliseRobinson.com. Before becoming the fearless person Elise is now, she was an auditor that kept the public safe and before COVID hit, an IT consultant in Mexico. You can find Elise splitting her time between America and Mexico when she gets tired of tacos in Spanish or Chick-fil-A in English. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you. So, you know, the first thing we do on this show is ask every one of our guests the same question. So for you, Elise, what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? Fearlessness. Not many people would, you know, leave everything they know to go move to another country and then uh, stay for almost five years. I tell people all the time that closed mouths don't get fed. You know, you have to put yourself out there for opportunities or else they'll just pass you by. So I don't have an issue doing that. Moving to a whole nother country, not knowing anyone Wanting to mourn, not knowing the language and not knowing the culture. Oh, that'll make you fearless all the way around. (laughs) Or the opposite. It could have had the exact opposite effect. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Because I know many people that have moved to another country and then they came right back. And so. (laughs) What do you think made the difference for you in terms of staying versus leaving? Everything just fell into place. Like I tell people all the time that. I have not had a bad experience in Mexico. Everything has been like roses and pearls, I guess. People are friendly. The food is good. I mean, I had a time of my life about a month and a half in. I called my father up and told him I wasn't coming back home, daddy. And he was like, "Okay." (laughs) Well, for my own benefit, what, what part of Mexico are you in? That's so wonderful. Um, well, I, I first had went to Mexico City, but I'm in Merida now. Merida is about, I live about 15 minutes from the ocean, which I can't even go to no more because of COVID. <laughs> but it's always hot. It's never cold. But 
I mean, before COVID hit, I was supposed to go back to Mexico City, but Mexico City is one of the largest cities on earth. So it just didn't make sense to go back and be all up underneath all those people with COVID. And Mexico City also gets cold. So I I didn't want to be in the cold either with COVID since it affects your, you know, your lungs. But I definitely recommend Mexico City if you ever go. Don't go to Cancun. Go to Mexico City. You you couldn't have known this at the time, but you picked an interesting decade, an interesting five years to move to Mexico uh, with, you know, everything that's happened since. Yeah, I mean, I meet all kinds of people that say they want to leave because of, well, at the time it was Trump or, you know, because of racism, sexism, all the isms. Or, you know, their job sucks, whatever. But, you know, my reason for moving was totally different. I mean, I literally had to quit my life to take care of my mother and help out my family. So I had nothing left. And it just, for whatever reason, I think, yeah, by that time, Trump had got elected. Yeah, I knew by then because I left in November. Mm -hmm. And it was what it was at the time because people literally think that people move because, you know, they just hate their country. And that wasn't my reasoning. So I, I thought I was going to come back, but I, I just didn't. So this fearlessness, where do you think it comes from? I have no idea. I don't know. I feel like at least my motto is that you only have one life. And so why are you putting limits on it? I try not to put limits on my life. And I want to experience all the things, (laughs) all the things. And, you know, fear always puts limits on things. If I am fearful, I try to put that to the side and do what I got to do. So one of the things that would scare me in a situation like you're in is working in another country and in another language. Did you speak Spanish before you moved to Mexico? Or do you speak Spanish in your work as an IT consultant? How did that work? No, I, I knew like three words. I knew uno, dos, tres. <laughs> See and no. <laughs> it was funny because I got I got lost my very first night in Mexico City, and so I was, you know, you hear all the things about Mexico, uh, you know, the cartel. They're gonna, you know sex traffic you and cut your body up, steal kidneys, all that stuff. So I didn't talk to anyone. And I literally walked around in my neighborhood for like two hours before I was, I finally broke down and was like, I'm going to talk to someone (laughs) or at least try. And so, yeah, everything worked out because somebody helped me find my place and everything like that. But no, when I became an IT consultant, I focused on real estate companies because real estate companies, they're usually bilingual, the people that work there. And so I didn't have to know that much Spanish, but I ended up moving to Guatemala to get my Spanish down because Spanish classes in Mexico are ridiculously expensive for whatever reason. Mexico is one of those places where if you don't know Spanish, they will find someone that knows enough English to help you. (laughs) So for the longest, I never even knew Spanish. Like I never knew because I didn't have to know it. I've I've had this question on my mind, but it's kind of heavy. So if you don't want to talk about it, that's totally fine. But okay. what is it like for a black American, a black woman to leave America and to go to a country that doesn't have a history of slavery? That's uh, you know, comparable. Actually does have a history of slavery. Does it? Cool. Yeah. There's, there's black Mexicans that look just like me. 
So, I mean, they do have a history of it, but they were, they might have been the first, don't quote me on that. They might have been the first to eliminate it though. But all of Central America, all of South America, they had it. Um, Of course, America, Canada. (laughs) But living in Mexico as a Black American woman, like I said, I haven't had any bad experiences. I know of other people that have, but they live in small towns. I have not lived in a small town. So, you know, small town minds, small town behavior, not not the stereotype, but, you know, that stereotype is there for a reason. So they think these, you know, things and they're just not true. But yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. I, I have no complaints. Yeah, I, I feel like I just put my foot in my mouth. So I, I want to just mention <laughs> that I'm aware of the history of colonialism in in Latin in America, so I didn't mean to erase that. So I would like to apologize for doing that. No, no, there's plenty of they have. It's in um, Oaxaca area and Veracruz area is where the Black Mexicans live, and a lot of them are just very dark skin and they have the Mexican features, but then there are some that, you know, look like me and my auntie and my uncle and, you know, everybody else. But yes, Mexico does have a history of slavery. Yes, they do. I guess, yeah, my question is like, is the impact today different? You mentioned that you haven't encountered as much racism. I guess what I'm asking about is like more of the structural conditions. That does exist. I think it comes more so into play because I am an American. And so they're more so curious about that. But it also doesn't come into play because a lot of times people don't even think I'm an American. They might think I'm, since I'm closer to Belize, depending on how good my Spanish is for the day, I'm Cuban. If my Spanish is not that good, then I'm Belizean. So... It's a strange dynamic, more so in Cancun area. They would automatically know that I'm American because Americans come through all the time. But in smaller areas, they're like, you're Haitian, you're Jamaican, you know, because there's a lot of them there. And unfortunately, they they have a stereotype that we're poor. So, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic. But um, when I first moved to Mexico City, you know, one of the first people that I had run into when I got lost was a Haitian guy. And so, you know, I'm I'm asking him about, you know, like, should I live here? Should I stay? You know, things like that. And and he was born, he was born in Mexico. And so he said he, you know, he, I mean, he doesn't know anything else, you know, like I do, but he said that he, he loved it. So, you know, one of the first people I met was a black person. So, you know, it, it kind of put me at ease more so, especially when you hear all these things about Mexico. Then not being in America for the Trump administration. <laughs> how, did, how did you feel about that? I actually came back very often. My, my father and my sister was getting tired of me because I would come back like every two months or so. So I came back very, very often and would stay probably like a month or so at a time. I just, I didn't work in America, of course, and I didn't technically live here. And funny enough, I'm back in the States now (laughs) for the holidays. And I will be here until April because my sister is an essential health care worker. And so she took a travel contract. So I'm here. But I don't know. I guess more so 
Mexicans wanted to know why Trump was the way that he was. So yeah, in the beginning, I got a lot of flack about Trump and how crazy he was. But I mean, I definitely was in the States during Trump time a lot. I was. So you moved to Mexico, sort of, you just had to drop everything and and move to Mexico. And what was it like trying to pick things back up once you got there? I mean, I don't know. I guess I tell people all the time I live in a in a dual existence because in my house I'm full English, but when I step out, you know, I'm in full Spanish, and it can be difficult to switch. Um, when I come back home, you know, I'm still saying "Hola" or "Buenos dias" and you know "Sí, gracias," and then. When I come back, I, I don't know. When I come back, though, it's like an instant turn on. I don't know. It's, it, it's pretty instant. It's, it, the only problem comes into play when I come back home home is what I call it. But that's really the only issues that I have is when I come back. Because, you know, if, you go, if you're going months speaking another language and then you're only here for like, you know, a month or so, it, it's really different. But, yeah, the dual existence gets difficult sometimes because I still I still do, you know, U.S. things. And, you know, I still live like an American and it gets to be a lot, a lot. <laughs> there's there's like a whole new level of code switching now where yeah, it's yeah. not just, you know, different in, in, you know, English. It's now, do you have to code switch in Spanish too? Like, are, are there different situations where you speak Spanish differently? Oh, yeah. No, they think I'm a child a lot of times because I sound like a kid, I guess. <laughs> they think I'm a child. Like, I, I went somewhere one time and they're like, are your parents going to come sign the papers? I'm like, I'm like over 30. <laughs> so I think that kind of plays into it. I think I sound like a child. And then I'm also I'm also skinny. And, you know, Mexicans are not known to be skinny. And I really look like a child when I cut all my hair off because sometimes I'll go totally bald. And so, you know, they probably think I'm some little African child or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I get it a lot. I get a lot that I'm a child. They were giving me discounts on the bus. And I'm like, why are they giving me discounts on the bus? <laughs> they think I'm a child. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I also speak Spanish at the level of a small child. <laughs> so I can see that happening to me. Uh, you know, my, my voice sounds like a child too, though. Cause when you learn another language, like you don't sound the same when you speak your, your first language. Cause yeah, I'm a part of a black language group. And I asked in the group and they were like, you know, I'm like, how does your voice sound when you speak your other language? And everybody's laughing cause they don't sound the same. So I think I sound like a child when I talk. <laughs> yeah, I know from watching Dora the Explorer that I then start talking like Dora, and um, that's not how I normally sound. Right, right, right. So, so yeah, it's it's very, very different. I was wondering what kind of stuff you talk about on your podcast and blog. <laughs> Whatever I feel like, like if I, well, I, of course, recently I have been talking about COVID because COVID has hit Mexico very, very hard. Um, at one point, Mexico was number three on the list with the deaths. And lastly, people are just, well, they're still coming, but people were steadily coming in the middle of the freaking pandemic. And I'm just like, 
I'm oh my gosh, like literally thousands of people were dying a day and people were like, I'm coming to Mexico because Mexico is like the only country in the whole wide world that's open. So I'm like, well, you could catch the COVID. Because <laughs> I mean, if it was pretty bad in my little small town, I don't even want to know what it was like in like, or is in Cancun and Mexico City and, you know, the bigger cities, Puerto Vallarta. And I... When I'm home, I don't go anywhere. I mean, I go to the bank because I still have to get my rent out because they're, you know, behind. And I go to the spa because that keeps me sane. But other than that, I don't go anywhere. So, like, food-wise, do you do groceries? Or what? what is your, like, just day-to-day situation look like for, you know, what is a day in the life in Mexico like? The food, uh, where I am now, I don't, I don't enjoy the food. This uh, one of the main reasons why I need to get back to Mexico City is because, I mean, it's a large city. They have everything you can think of, but big city life. This is one of the reasons why I love Mexico City so much is because, I mean, I can live like an American and then I also don't have to live like an American if I don't want to. It was funny because when my sister and my nephew came to, to visit me, they're like, no wonder why you don't want to come back. You have all the American eats and, you know, you could do all the American things. I mean, Mexico City has six flags. Mexico City has Cheesecake Factory, Red Lobster. Red Lobster is one of my favorite. <laughs> I can just get all my American eats and, and be perfectly fine. That's why I say when I come back home, I get Chick-fil-A because they don't have Chick-fil-A. But yeah, lots of tacos. But yeah, where I live at now is not, it's really weird because it's not really, it's not real Mexico. I don't even consider it to be real Mexico because it's like really heavy European dominance. So they have like a lot of Italian restaurants and like steakhouses and stuff. It's like really weird. I don't know. Weird. Like in America, we don't really have, there are places where you just like don't have a local cuisine. So that's just the stuff that you eat. But like, I guess in, in Mexico, I would expect to go eat Mexican food a lot. And I do, I do. But I mean, you know, I'm still, I'm still an American. So we have the variety, you know, that other countries do not have. And so I still like my Indian, I still like my Thai, I still like my Vietnamese. And that's to the point where I really want to come home is when I get tired of eating the same <laughs> same things all the time. Uh, yeah, Merida is a weird city. I don't know. I don't even consider it to be real Mexico. And honestly, if it was the first place that I moved to, because <laughs> Merida is like really big with like, especially the older expats because it's hot. It never gets cold. It's on the beach. So yeah, there's a lot of older expats that want to live there and come live there. And so I guess maybe they might cater to them, but yeah, it's really an odd place. Like there's, I've asked Mexicans, I'm like, where do you go to get tacos? And we're like, we don't, we don't do tacos. Like the tacos will give you the runs. I'm like, what? Meanwhile, when I was in Mexico City, you know, I would step out my front door and there's all kinds of taco carts. Now, Merida is ridiculously hot. It can easily get 110. So there won't be taco carts on, you know, on the street. But I mean, there should be some type of place where I can get decent tacos. Because, yeah, I used to literally leave the house and just go to the taco cart and get six tacos and, you know, go back up to my house. (laughs) 
you describe a very interesting way of transitioning to living in Mexico and not transitioning. You know, some things, some things change and a lot of things stay the same, especially when you're there in Mexico City. But you did go from being an auditor to an IT consultant. How did that transition work? <laughs> um, yeah, because, yeah, people always ask me that. So I guess when I was like 10 years old, I wanted to know how those websites worked because, you know, the Internet was just getting getting started and with dial up and stuff <laughs> Showing my age. But so, yeah, I want to know how those websites worked. And so I taught myself how to code. Um, Shout out to the very first website that taught me. It was Lisa Explains It All. And it still exists. And it was funny because I had sent the lady a message like over a year ago. And so she just checked her messages. And she was like, oh, like, thank you. Like, you know, it still exists. And she's the same age as me. And I I thanked her and told her, you know, like, I I learned how to code because of you. And so, yeah, my parents actually thought something was wrong with me because I was 10 years old and I didn't go outside and play that summer. Like, I wanted to learn how to code. So I did. And then I progressed to taking classes in high school and college, of course. And so... I won't sit up here and say that I did not get internships because I did, but they were government internships. And so not stereotype, but it's true. (laughs) The government stagnates you because they don't get the latest and the greatest. You know, they're slow. There's a bureaucracy and they're like (laughs) 20, 30 years behind on so much things. So I wanted, you know, an internship at not necessarily Google or whatever, but even FedEx would have been fine, you know? (laughs) So I didn't find one. So I was like, okay, well, whatever, then I'll switch to accounting. And so switch to accounting. Accounting was good to me. They actually have entry-level positions. And funny enough, I went and worked for the government though. So, (laughs) but it wasn't it wasn't hard to find a position they don't they didn't make me jump through all these hoops and all this other kinds of stuff so i stuck with accounting and became an auditor and then of course life happened so and that was my next step to mexico so then when i got to mexico i fell back on my it skills i learned about the cloud one of the first things i built on the cloud was my podcast and so i learned that on aws you can, you know, run a podcast for like pennies a month instead of paying like Blueberry or something. I don't know how much it is, like $25 a month or something like that. So yeah, I did that. And then I built an email service on AWS too. So instead of paying like MailChimp $50 a month, it would be free or pennies for AWS to send hundreds of thousands of emails. So I got interested in the cloud that way. And then Of course, Mexico (laughs) is a third world country. It might be second world now. I'm not 100% sure on that. And so they're they're behind on a lot of things. So I came with this idea that I was going to put them into the cloud. They like to use Facebook Marketplace and Facebook pages to conduct business. And my whole thing is, if you're going to sell real estate to international people, are you going to look on Facebook Marketplace or Facebook pages for for property? (laughs) No, you're going to want a website. So I built the websites on AWS using the cloud and then the databases in the background to pull the properties, depending on how big the real estate company was. And that's how I became an IT consultant. And to fall back on being a Black American 
in Mexico and, you know, starting your own thing, not to say that America doesn't have a lot of resources, but Mexico has tons of resources to get you started, you know, doing business in Mexico. And uh, <laughs> being being black also helps too, because everybody's curious about you. So, <laughs> so what I heard in that story was you ran into some really broken interview processes in tech, which in so that you went off and became an auditor and did that for X number of years. And now that now that you're in Mexico doing your own consulting, it's it's uh, different. You don't have to deal with the broken interview processes that we have in this industry. Yeah, it's. I I have interviewed, I have interviewed recently just, you know, to see. (laughs) And at this point, I kind of want to come back for grad schools because I said I need to quit playing around and do something with my life. (laughs) So I have interviewed and I don't know if it's gotten worse, but I see that it's, it's really out there. And in comparison to audit, And in comparison to, say, the government process of interviewing, because I have interviewed at the government level, too, for IT, it's really out there. I don't understand why. What are the the tech communities like that you've been a part of in in Mexico? How are they different from a bunch of white dudes with beards getting together (laughs) in the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco? One of the first people that I had met moving to my second apartment in Mexico City was a programmer. And so, you know, I asked him about the process and everything. And he's like, yeah, like no one does that here. So I don't think it's like as gatekeeped in Mexico. Because, yeah, you'll see women working in all types of industries, you know, going to work in their their little business suits and things like that. (laughs) So. You know, I not to say it's equal because sexism is is really bad in Mexico. They've literally been having uh, marches for the amount of sexism that that's been going on in Mexico. But you do see women working in these roles, and I have not talked to a woman in IT. Only only males, so I guess I'm kind of biased on this. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the about the difference between uh, entering or interviewing in IT versus auditing or government? Yeah. So, I mean, I've interviewed at, I can't remember because it was so long ago, but I want to say it was KPMG. So I have interviewed at the, you know, the big four and everything like that. Of course they do the, are you a culture fit questions? It's more so on, you know, are you a culture fit, I guess. They're not asking you, is there a difference between, what is the difference between a debit and a credit, (laughs) you know, um, in accounting? With IT, you know, they're asking you what is a, you know, the difference between a join and a whatever else in, in, you know, SQL. And, you know, like to spit something off the top of my head like that, I mean, that's detrimental to my psyche. Because, <laughs> you know, I've done it for years. I might not know the name of it, but I mean, because it doesn't matter, you know, if I've been doing it for years. And I, I, I couldn't even see it at the entry level point because, I mean, they didn't even do that at the entry level point for me. But the government process is very mm, sterile because they, they're not supposed to be biased. They're supposed to give um, people with disabilities and women and minorities uh, equal opportunities. So there is no video. Usually everything's on the phone. 
there's probably no names on on uh, resumes and things like that. Like they they cut all that stuff out, so there's no bias in the interview process. Because you know, if your name is Hardeep, <laughs> you'll have some type of bias, you know, potentially. So yeah, the government process is very thorough, um, and then they rate you. So yeah, it's it's very different. There's no hoops to jump through because I mean, if I have a portfolio of work or I've been working for, you know, this employer, then you just basically need to check references at that point, I guess, instead of having me do a coding interview on something that I wouldn't know what it was beforehand, you know, putting me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely seen the the gotcha questions of testing esoteric technology. But I've also seen, I've been on the other side interviewing people, and because of the way we manage to structure the interviews, I I get to meet the people before looking at their resumes, which I prefer. But I will actually, I'll do some pairing with the person and then go, well, this person does not know how to write code. Uh, And then, (laughs) like, just doesn't, don't understand the concept of giving instructions to a computer. Uh, And I go back and I look at their resume and find, like, five years as senior software engineer at this company I've heard of. And so my question is though, do you think people are faking their portfolios too? Cause I mean, you know, there's no portfolios in a, in accounting. So, you know, it's basically their word against yours. And like I said, you would check the references to be a hundred percent sure, but I guess people could fake references at this point too. But you know, the background check comes into play. Cause yeah, I've heard people say you need to do a video you know, talking about yourself and you have to have all these, you have to have 10 projects, contribute to open source. And, you know, where, where does it end? (laughs) My wife is an accountant, but she's in tax. And I really don't understand how you would interview someone for that job because so much of it is looking stuff up all the time. What, What type of process can we do to where, you know, people aren't spending six hours, you know, doing these interviews? I mean, the tax code is so big that no one can remember it. Then it changes. It's changed a lot, you know, under Trump. How do you demonstrate expertise in reading and parsing the tax code? Like, that's that's weird to me. Like, how, I don't know how you do that. That's why I said some more so, I guess, it would be a culture fit. Because, yeah, I'm trying to think back to one of my interviews for my auditor interviews is I don't recall them asking me any accounting questions. It was basically, you know, personality type questions like, do I want to work with you? Because I mean, yeah, every job you're going to need some type of training to get up to speed. And that's the other problem. It was funny because I asked a lady yesterday because I I worked for the government. So, you know, I I have clearance. I asked her, are are you filling these roles? And she said, no, these roles have been open for months. And I said, I'm not trying to get in your business, but I was just curious, you know, because she started stuttering. And like, you know, she wasn't prepared for, you know, to answer that question. And she's like, no, they've been open for forever. And I'm like, yeah, I I'm, I know they are. That's why I'm asking. Because number one, you're looking for a cloud engineer. And number two, you're looking for somebody with a top secret clearance, like, that's probably like one out of a million people on this earth, you know, a billion shoot at this point. <laughs> That's an absolutely ridiculous requirement. Like it's only it's only reasonable to hire somebody you think you can get clearance for and then work, work to get their clearance. To require that sort of thing in advance is absolutely ridiculous. 
this is this is what I'm talking about. I mean, and that's why I asked her because I get these things in my inbox all the time. Cloud engineer with the clearance, and they're like, "You need a top secret." And I'm like, "What's the chances of somebody having a top secret and is a cloud engineer and also knows enough about you know being in the cloud to fill your requirements?" So yeah. You know, because like I said, the cloud is so vast. Number one, you you would have to train someone on a lot of things and a top secret clearance. <laughs> well, that so. dovetails with the other thing you said, the question being in an interview, do I want to work with this person? And that that's actually the final question I use, you know, when I'm done with an interview. It's like, if well, I want to work with this person tomorrow. Well, I want to work with them tomorrow. Are they capable of doing the job? And by capable of doing the job, I don't mean they know everything right now because they've never worked here before. They sure don't know our code base. And also things are going to change. So are they, can they learn? So, you know, yeah. do I want to work with you and can you learn? Yeah. Not to say that I want to hire somebody that knows nothing and then train them up, which I mean, at this point, that that might be what you have to do, especially when you want some obscure requirements. But my thing is, can this person learn? Are they hungry? You know, that's my whole thing. You know, are they capable of learning? Because shoot, some people are not capable. <laughs> you know, mm. they'll throw in the towel real, real quick. So, you know, can they figure out some things? You know, that thing I said about how accountants are always looking stuff up. Software engineers do that too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know they do. And, you know, I do it all the time with my own projects, you know, so... It's like you're asking me the difference between debits and credits. Like I can give you a baseline and but at the end of the day, I'm I'm going to look it up to make sure, you know, that I got it right. You know, as long as I know it and understand it to an extent. So those little questions on, you know, those things are are kind of insane. And going back to what he said, you know, people faking experience, are you saying that people are faking their portfolios too, or do you not? Because that's the thing. People are saying, do a portfolio, but no one has ever looked at mine. (laughs) Even as a contractor, you know, doing my own thing, no one has ever asked to see, you know, work that I've done before. They're like, okay, well, she sounds good, so we're going to hire her, you know? And, you know, a lot of people that have worked at big companies don't have portfolios that they can just show people because it's not their work. And yeah, and that's the other thing, because, you know, I worked for the government and a lot of things that I did was secret. So a lot of things I can't talk about. So it's like, what what am I supposed to say here? <laughs> yeah, as far as I can tell, every industry is just really bad at this, but tech might be one of the worst at actually evaluating human performance. Yeah. And like I said earlier, my sister's in healthcare and she recently just left to go on a contract, you know, to help out for COVID. And so, you know, I'm asking her, I was like, well, what did they do, you know, to, to see if you were qualified for the job, you know? She was like, well, they just checked my license and they checked my references and that was it. That was it. So, you know, it's crazy out here. And I've had places where they were like, we're going to do seven interviews, seven interviews for what? The only way to know if a person is capable of doing the job is to do the job with them, to work with them over the course of weeks, months, years. And so, like, obviously, references are probably the best 
But if you call up a stranger and say, hey, this person who used to work for you, uh, are they good at their job? They're going to say yes because or nothing because, you know, they risk litigation otherwise. You'll see this in I live in Hollywood. You see this in, in movies where directors, especially top name directors, work with the same cast over and over again because they've worked with that cast they know how they work and even not top name directors if you go to if you go to a casting agent you'll you'll find that they bring in the same people over and over again and the same people get hired because somebody can say oh yeah i worked with them they were great yeah i understand where you're coming from i do but i mean for a field that says there's such a shortage <laughs> such a shortage it doesn't line up that's the other half of it, too, is, you know, I can take any reasonable human being and make them into an excellent software engineer. I've done it. Those weren't reasonable human beings. Those people were awesome. <laughs> but I think I can do it reasonable people, too. And I don't I think a lot of our industry does not know how to do that. We don't you know, there's so much, especially in engineering management. They don't know how to make engineers better engineers or how to make people into great engineers. So what are you going to do? I don't know, but I guess IT was started, you know, kind of funny. I was a little bit too young to really fully understand, but I know at one point they were, you know, just throwing money at the most stupidest things. <laughs> so maybe that's why, you know, these ridiculous requirements have come about, you know, because accounting's been around since like the beginning of time. Medicine's been around since the beginning of time, you know, so. That's my only thought on that. <laughs> yeah, if you could just solve that problem for us real quick, right? Just right here on the podcast, that'd be great. <laughs> Let's go ahead and tell us we what to do. We would all appreciate that. I mean, interviewing at, like I said, at the government where, you know, they interview one time, you know, because everybody's already on the panel so they can get a feel for you, you know, because they're like, okay, well, you're going to interview with so-and-so. And then the second interview, you're going to interview with so-and-so. The third interview, you're going to interview with so-and-so. Can you just make it one whole thing so everyone can, you know, ask their questions, you know, kind of like what we're doing right now and, you know, get it over with? <laughs> I mean, that's that's one of the first steps. <laughs> if you look at, like, big companies like Google, they get so many applicants that they mostly just care about saying no to people. They mostly care about weeding out the people they don't want. And they'd be happy to say no to people they do want. That's more important to them than saying yes to people. They would rather say no to someone they do want than say yes to someone they don't want because it's hard to fire people, right? Which is good. But their hiring process is entirely built around saying no as quickly as possible. And, you know, if Google can't do this with all the resources they have, well, what, what hope do the rest of us have? I don't know how useful it is to compare ourselves to Google, though, because the problem totally shifts when you move away from a filtering problem and you turn things around. You've got like an attraction problem then instead. And I think it's a better way to frame it is to look like look at it as, you know, how, how can we put ourselves out there as a company such that we attract the right people that are likely to be a good fit for us? And as opposed to, you know, because it, it, you can get a whole bunch of the wrong people, right? But but if you do a really good job at characterizing yourself and your, you know, your company and your team and things in a way that that really shines and shows through what what it is you're about and interested in and, you know, what your culture is about, then, you know, it it makes it easier for the right people to find you. 
and not have ridiculous requirements. Like, you know, I imagine this Venn diagram with like cloud engineer and then, you know, top secret security clearance where you've got like this, um, you know, set up for, you know, you, you can only talk to us if you're a unicorn. And instead of doing that, like focus on the things that you really care about and then like eliminate all of the impossible to fill requirements and just focus on the competencies that are actually relevant instead. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because every organization has some type of IT in it. So, you know, just like accounting, you know, those probably are the two biggest fields where, you know, everybody's going to need it. So, you know, it, it really needs to be fixed because everyone needs IT, just like everyone needs accounting. To your point earlier, I mean, in talking about there's a shortage and a supply problem, if that's the problem to solve, then figuring out how we improve education and support and learning for people that are interested in those sorts of fields. How do we support mentorship kinds of opportunities so, so that you can get more you know, help and support on your journey? Oh, no, there's, there's, there's plenty of programs out there, plenty, because I've done them. I've done them years ago and I've done them now. But just like back then, I got discouraged with the process. I mean, if the process is ridiculous, it's going to turn a lot of people off, you know, and they're just going to go do something else. So that's another reason why it needs to be fixed. So, you know, I don't want people to go to school for computer science or whatever, and they don't know anything about this whole process they got to go through, this hazing process, basically. And, you know, they wasted their time because, I mean, that literally could have been me, but I I got smart on it. (laughs) I switched to accounting. <laughs> it, it, it seems like if the the problem is that getting hired is is a lot about who you know and that this is really discriminatory that on the one hand you should like change that by getting better at assessing human performance but that seems like a really long-term plan that will take like decades and so maybe the thing to do in the short term is to try to get more people those opportunities to be known and to be a part of that network yeah, I I don't know because there's like I said, there's all types of organizations and you know everything else to to help all of that. There's plenty of that. Where the problem comes into play is, you know, like I said, if there's such a shortage, then why are so many people just out of the loop? Because I mean, you can go all up and down Twitter, and people are constantly complaining about it. <laughs> They're constantly complaining about it. I haven't looked to see if there's anything else for accounting or any other field. But like I said, I I did two fields already, accounting and medicine. And obviously they're, they're not like that. So it's really interesting. Like this is true about capitalism in general. There are a lot of jobs that need people and there are a lot of people that need jobs and it's not efficient. Yeah, that's true. But again, I think part of the problem is, again, we can go back to the cloud engineer and the security clearance. I mean, how many people on this earth actually have that? (laughs) Yeah, Theoretical efficiencies in capitalism are dependent on people being knowledgeable and rational, two things that are not true about human beings. (laughs) And but we can we can improve that. I, I love what Artie said about, you know, really 
finding the relevant things. And the relevant thing is not, you know, you know what a credit or a debit is, you know, the difference between a join and a left outer join. Honestly, if I'm hiring somebody, the relevant thing is, do I want to work with you? <laughs> Are you a pleasure to work with? I can teach you all about IT. I can't teach you to care about your coworkers. Right. <laughs> and that is and true. If, I, if I'm dealing with classified material, I need to be able to get people clearances. If I can't do that, I'm, you know, yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to talk about the clearance trust, the, you know, the trust factor too. I mean, we don't want you out here, you know, selling the secrets and, you know, giving away credit card numbers and social security numbers. So, you know, I don't know, but something needs to be fixed because, yeah, I don't know. And it's not, it's definitely not a pipeline problem. It's not a pipeline problem. I'm, I'm truly thinking it is the interview process. It's also maybe a little bit that the jobs people end up getting suck so much. Like there are a lot of toxic workplaces and people are treated really poorly. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm like really open to remote work because you don't have to look at people. You don't have to deal with them. So, you know, and a lot of IT jobs probably need to be uh, remote, you know, so you don't have to go into the office, especially now, you know. I, I joke, I joke with my father that, you know, all the people that's causing all the issues right now are the extroverts. <laughs> Us introverts are, we're fine sitting at home and, you know, no, not too much people interaction and stuff. It's, it's all the extroverts. So, and I, I guess to an extent, it's the, probably the extroverts that's doing, you know, the hiring process and, and things like that. So they, they come up with these ridiculous procedures to put people through these these hazing processes too. Because I'm seeing recently I saw a job bulletin. It was Scrum Master and a Python developer. And I'm like, a Python developer doesn't want to talk to people like that. <laughs> we just want to sit behind the computer and code. <laughs> you know, we're not going to facilitate meetings and, and do Scrum. Like, you're crazy. So, and, you know, I've seen tons of positions like that. And I'm just like, gone are the days where you could just, you know, not have too much people interaction and, you know, just code or, or do whatever, you know, in IT. So I think that might be a part of the problem, too. Because, I mean, IT, I don't want to be stereotypical again, but I mean, IT is for those that would just want to sit behind the computer and not really deal with people that much. So I think that's also a part of the problem extroverts are trying to get into IT and they probably shouldn't be. <laughs> the thing that I, I'll be reflecting on is, is really the ways that I can be fearless. The story Elise told us felt to me like something had to be done, so she did it. And if it has to be done and you do it, there's no there's no room for fear, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot of areas in my life where I have a lot of fear. And if I just it's not necessary. I don't have to have it. I could just do it. So I'm going to be reflecting on that. The thing I've been thinking about is when you said you only have one life. So why are you putting limits on it? And, you know, you think about all the limits we put on ourselves and all the things we don't do. And, you know, you can kind of imagine yourself getting old and looking back at your life and like, well, why, why didn't I do that? You know, why was I so paralyzed by fear that I I didn't take that chance? I didn't do that opportunity. I didn't pick up and move to a different country. <laughs> There's so many things in life that 
we have the opportunity to see, yet all those limits, you know, hold us back from experiencing those things. And why? Why do we let fear grip us in that way, as opposed to really living and experiencing our life? And I find it so inspiring that you just, you know, picked up and left everything you knew and moved to a different country without knowing anyone, without, you know, having any friends there. And you found, you know, some some stranger that, you know, helped you find your place and ended up, you know, creating work opportunity and stuff with, you know, drawing on your skills that you had to make a living and making the whole thing work. And that's so powerful just to be able to to do that. You only have one life. So why are you putting limits on it? Oh, I, I have a couple reflections. The first one is that I need to learn more about the history of the transatlantic slave trade outside of the United States so that I don't sound like a dipshit on my own podcast. And the second one is that I think that folks in tech, especially people who look like me, should be intentional about making our networks more inclusive. If that's how the world works, then I think that's what we need to do. And also it'll enrich your lives if you do that because you'll get to hang out and talk to more people. I will say that I don't think that there is a pipeline problem because I know tons of engineers, women, Asian, black, you know, and they're, we're all minorities in, in IT. And so, and we're, you know, pumping through it. And like I said, all over, just on Twitter alone, there's all types of complaints about the process. And, you know, being in from accounting was my, <laughs> I don't want to say my original field, but the field that I switched to after I found out that computer science was not as fair, there was none of these issues that I ran into. And so, yeah, living in another country for years and just frolicking has changed my perspective on so many things. And I hope that the IT industry eventually gets it together because they're missing out on so much, so much talent, so much talent. 